So today, I want to come back to the series, Unburdened. Last week, I talked about forgiveness. Forgiveness that we all need, and the kind of forgiveness that once we understand it, sets us free from self-condemnation. So I talked about that last week. This week, I want to talk about forgiveness, but from a different angle, and that is we need to forgive other people. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You'll find rest for your souls. His yoke is his teaching, and Jesus teaches not only that the Father forgives us, he also teaches that we are to forgive others. And if our burden is heavy, Jesus says that's not his burden. His burden is light. If our burden is heavy, it's because we're not catching the full truth of what Jesus taught. And here's one area where we miss it. We want God's forgiveness, but we don't give that forgiveness to others. So I want to talk about that this morning. Now, the Bible talks a lot about forgiving others, but you know, there has been, ever since the 1980s, an enormous amount of research done in regard to forgiveness. And there, the research has to do with forgiving one another. And I found an article this last week that summarized some of the findings. It's called uh, 17 Things We Know About Forgiveness. It's an interesting article. Some of it's fairly obvious. For example, people who forgive others sleep better at night and have better heart health. In fact, they have better health in general than those who hold on to resentment. We know that. But here's something you may not have known. Did you know that in the animal world, expressions of forgiveness happen after conflict all the time? They've studied mostly primates, and they find that after a conflict between two apes, they'll hug and sometimes kiss each other to make up. You didn't know that, did you? Some of the research has been done not just on primates, but on other animals as well. For example, they see some similar behavior with goats and, of all things, hyenas. There is one species, however, one, the only one they've discovered, that shows no visible effort to bring about reconciliation after conflict. Just one. Do you know which one it is? Household cats. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. All you cat lovers, what's wrong with you? They are so arrogant and so full of themselves. My sister had a cat she dearly loved. This is, this is definitely TMI, but I got to go there. She had a cat she dearly loved. She left town one time for, I guess, a week. Maybe it was two weeks. She provided for the cat, but it wasn't good enough. When she got back, that cat was angry and never used a litter box again. <laughs> that's what I said. Too much information. But you know what? That's, that's the way of cats. There's some other things that are really interesting. For example, young children are much better at forgiving than teens or adults. And I guess that's not surprising. What is a bit surprising is 
extroverts are better at forgiving others than introverts. I guess they're so people-oriented, they, they just want to remove whatever stands between them. So extroverts are better at forgiving. On the other hand, they're kind of needy because they're always wanting to be forgiven too. Please forgive me, please forgive me. So if you're an extrovert, you can feel superior to them. Religious people are better at forgiving than non-religious people. That's interesting. However, those who say, I am spiritual but not religious, they're not particularly good at forgiving others, but the research shows they're pretty good at forgetting, forgiving themselves. Come on, that is really funny. I mean, think about it. Think about it. The, the spiritual but not religious, that's Oprah territory. But you guys are hopeless. One group in particular, hey, we get a second wave of laughter over here. What is that? Somebody, somebody's meddling into my time and making a joke over here. Was it Chris Womack? Do I want to hear it, Susan? No, I don't. Yeah, okay. We're hopeless. He said, well, forgive us. There's a particular group that's known for forgiveness, and research actually shows they're better at it than probably any other group, and that's the Amish, the Amish who teach their children very early the importance of forgiveness, and they learn the disciplines of forgiveness. So there are lots of things that we learn about forgiveness through research, but you know, I don't need research to know how unforgiveness can be a burden on the heart. I've experienced that in my own life. It's like you go dark, and, and the joy is taken right out of your life when you hold on to something, some resentment toward another person. So I've experienced it in my own life. I've also seen it in other people's lives again and again. And interestingly, it doesn't really seem to matter whether the unforgiveness is, how can I put it, deserved or not. You know what I mean? Someone really harms you and you have resentment, or someone just crosses you and you have resentment. It really doesn't matter what your reasons are for resenting. The resentment weighs you down. I remember a young man named Kirk. Um, he, he, was, he was living in his car for a time, so he actually stayed with Linda and me for a couple of weeks. Linda's a saint. Um, because Kurt, Kurt was difficult, difficult to like, and that's because there was this rage. I mean, he reeked with cigarette smoke and rage. He was only about 20 years old, but he had been kicked out of his house. You know why? Because one day he couldn't take it anymore. His father would berate him and beat him, and he would beat Kirk's mom as well. One day, Kirk was old enough, and he was big enough, and everything decent in him wouldn't stand for it another moment. And when he started going after, when his dad started going after his mom, Kirk stood right between them and said, you touch her and I'll knock you flat. After that, his father, with his mother's acquiescence, kicked Kirk out of the home. He was full 
of rage and anger. He used to, his hands would tremble. He's 20 years old, his hands trembling. I don't know what the medical cause of that was, but it, it sort of added to the impression that this rage that was bubbling within was ready to break out at any moment. I remember talking to him saying, Kirk, I know it's hard, but you're going to have to forgive. You're going to have to let this anger go. And he would, he would almost sputter in anger when I said that. How could he forgive? And he would tell me more about his father's crimes. But at the same time, when we would pray, invariably, te- tears would start streaming down his cheeks. He was so heavy laden trying to serve God, trying to put his faith in God, and yet so full of this anger. He ended up moving away. I've lost touch with him. Every so often, I think about him. He'd probably be surprised to know that, but I think about him, and I wonder if he was able to forgive. If he was, perhaps he's found peace. If he couldn't, it's certain that he did not. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us how to pray, and he, he gives us the words in one place, forgive us our debts or our sins, our trespasses. Forgive us our debts as what? As we also forgive our debtors. That's an important word. What it assumes is that we would not even seek God's forgiveness if we're unwilling to forgive others. That's part of repentance, to recognize that we are indebted to God and to others for the wrongs we have done, and we need mercy. So how can you turn to God asking for mercy if you'll show no mercy to others? A couple of verses later, Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. He won't forgive. While you're holding on to that wrong that someone else has done, You can't, at the same time, with an authentic faith, come to God and seek repentance or seek seek forgiveness because forgiveness requires repentance and holding on to that resentment does not show a repentant heart but an angry and hateful heart. Jesus tells a parable. It's it's a well-known parable and in some ways disturbing. He says that the kingdom of heaven, this is in Matthew 18, you can read it later, I'm just going to retell it. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And so he had one servant who owed him 10,000 talents. The NIV uh, paraphrases it, 10,000 bags of gold, whatever. He owed him a lot. And The king said that he was going to sell the man, his wife, and his children into slavery in order to help repay that huge debt. The man was horrified. 
You can just imagine him. Remember those cartoons where, where someone would be upset and terrified and they'd begin to tremble and beads of, of sweat would start flying off their head? You know what I'm talking about. That's how I picture him standing before the king at this moment. And it says, he fell on his knees and begged the king. He said, be patient with me and I will repay it all. Now, you understand, this is 10,000 talents. King Herod, with all the income from all the taxes in his kingdom, had an income of about 900 talents. So here's this man owing 10,000 talents, and he's saying, just give me a little bit of time, and I'll repay it. It's absurd. He can't possibly repay it. But the king, it says, had pity on him. And the king canceled the debt and let him go. Now, it's a well-known parable. You know what happens next. He finds a man who owes him some money, 100 denarii, which is roughly three months' wages. Now, that's, that's not a small sum, but it's nothing like 10,000 talents. It's the kind of debt you might get into when you're behind on your rent for a few months. And so he comes to the man and says, repay me what you owe. He grabs him by the neck and throttles him. And the man says, please, please be patient with me. He falls on his knees and says, I will repay you. He says exactly to this servant what the servant had said to the king, but the servant would have nothing to do with it. Police, take him to prison. And so he's brought to debtor's prison until he repaid the whole thing. Now, that was an outrage. And those who knew about what happened went to the king and told him that the servant he had, he had been so merciful toward had not shown mercy to another. So the king called him back and said, I forgave you your debt, and you couldn't forgive this tiny debt of another? And he sent him off into prison until he could pay the last farthing. So it says that he sent him to the jailers in prison. In Greek, you know what jailer actually means? Torturer. He's going to go to debtor's prison, and he's going to be roughed up by the guards there because the intent was to strike such terror in the heart of his family. They'll figure out a way to pay the debt. So God, excuse me, the king sends this servant into prison. And since he owed 10,000 talents, I presume he's still there. Being tortured, living in torment with this debt. Then Jesus says, so the heavenly Father will treat each of you who does not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, <laughs> you read that and it's disturbing at first. Well, it's disturbing, period. But what gets you, you think, oh my goodness, would God actually forgive and then take back his forgiveness? Is that possible? Can you do that? Or you might think, would God really just cast us into the torment of in hell because of this? Well, Jesus is teaching a parable. 
He's not giving us an allegory. The king doesn't perfectly represent God. After all, God's not going to call in the servant and say, I'm going to sell you and your whole family into slavery to pay this debt. That's not the way God works. Jesus is telling a parable, and you have to give him some poetic license. It's got to be a good story. Now, the story he tells is meant to give a lesson, which was really not about the king. It's about the servant. It's not so much about God as it's about us and the incongruity of us being forgiven greatly and yet being unwilling to forgive others. That doesn't work. That doesn't fit. And so Jesus tells this story to drive that point home. We are all such debtors to God. How in the world, how in the world can we hold one another guilty and be unwilling to let our resentments go? If we hold on to them, what happens? Well, we find ourselves imprisoned. We find ourselves enduring the torture that goes with the resentment and the anger that we can't let go of. So it's a powerful story that drives home an important point. Now, we got to be sure we understand exactly what the point is, which is, again, this incongruity between seeking forgiveness but not giving forgiveness. This passage, the parable and the passage I read from Matthew 6, can, can sometimes be misunderstood, and some of you will be tempted to misunderstand it, so I need to speak to that, because it is true that sometimes it's very difficult for us to forgive. You take someone like Kirk, think about what he experienced and how hard it was to let go of his resentment. It's not like some small thing. This is going to be a process. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Um, among my vices, I have the vice of playing golf. Now, I'm not the only one here with that vice. I don't want you, I don't want you to judge me. You shouldn't judge me because, because I picked it up when I was 11 years old, and, you know, you just get stamped with it. So I, though I stopped playing for 25 years, I lapsed back in about 10 years ago. So I was really young when I started to play golf, and I basically taught myself, and my, my mom and dad played. My dad wasn't so good, but my mom was pretty good. And she had a golf pro that was giving her lessons, and she asked me if I'd like to have a lesson. So I said, well, sure. So we go to the course, and he walks out on the range with me. We've got a bucket of balls, and I start hitting a few balls. And, and he tells me, this won't mean anything if you don't play golf, don't worry about it, but he tells me that my swing plane is wrong and I need to, I need to change that. Well, I, I tried what he said once and I sent the ball way off to the right. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm 12, 13 years old. I pretty much, I pretty much know how to play this game. <laughs> and I know there's nothing wrong with my swing plane. So I'm not going to hit the ball way off right. I just pretty much ignore him, start hitting balls. He's saying a few things here and there, but as, as the hour went on, he pretty much stopped talking. He just watched me hit golf balls. After the lesson, he tells my mom, I don't have any interest in working with your son. 
He didn't listen to a word I said. He's not teachable. Well, why should I be? On my way to the PGA Tour, he could ruin my swing. All right, imagine the story works a little bit differently. Imagine when I, when I hit a couple of balls, he says, listen, your swing plane's off. You've got to adjust that. And so I try to do it, and I send the ball way off to the right. But I've put myself in this man's hands, and I'm going to learn. Okay, I, I, I lay aside my pride. I don't know everything, so I, I set that aside and I start making the effort. And he's going to stick with me. He's not going to blow me off because I'm not blowing him off. I'm all in. And I send one off to the right and I send one off to the left and I dribble it along the ground. But in time, I'm going to get it. And when I get it, I'm going to play better than I had before but it takes some time. So if I am all in, what I've done effectively is I've repented. See, I've been doing things my own way, and now I've got someone who knows something telling me what to do. So I say, okay, I'm changing my mind. My way is the wrong way. I'm with you. Tell me what to do. Oops, this is hard. I'm not doing so well. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm with you. We're going to figure this out. Forgiveness is like that. See, if I don't repent of my unforgiveness, that's like me saying, you know, God, I want you to forgive me, but I ain't going there. That's, I, I'm not going to forgive other people. I'm doing it my own way. But if I realize I'm wrong, I need to get through this, and I, I put myself in God's hands, and I seek God's help, it's not easy I may not know how to forgive, but God will help me over time to get free of that resentment. See, it's one thing to refuse to forgive. That's being unrepentant, and you will not be forgiven. It's another thing to say, God, I'm all in. I want to forgive. Help me to do it. That wins the mercy and grace of God. So if, if you have endured something that has marked you for life, I mean, you have been scarred, and it is something that, that is deep, and it's very difficult for you to let go of. Well, you need to learn to let go. You need to learn to forgive. You absolutely do if you want peace, but it's going to be tough, you're going to find yourself maybe before you even know it, having these thoughts of revenge. Here's how I can get even. You know, here how, here's how I can pay them back. And then you have to stop and realize, no, there I go again. The Lord's not threatening you. He's simply saying we've got to repent and be all in if we're going to find forgiveness. And when it comes to forgiving others, it's not a magic wand that makes everything wonderful because, because it just doesn't always work out that way. You can forgive someone, and it doesn't mean that everything is reconciled and put right because it requires two. It requires two to engage one another. I could forgive someone who cheated me in business, but I'm not going to go in business with them after that. Unless trust is reestablished, and that can take a long time. So there are 
there are times when you may forgive someone in the sense that you let go of your resentment, but that doesn't mean you're going to be best friends. In that, when that's the case, you might say it's frustrated forgiveness. See, forgiveness aims at reconciliation, but in this world, sometimes the reconciliation isn't going to happen. But you can still find relief for your own soul by letting go of the anger and knowing that in some ways you're in the same position God's in. God offers forgiveness to all. Think about Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. There's this forgiving disposition. And how many people say, "Eh, don't need that. Don't need that. So reconciliation between God and that person doesn't happen. So God lives with frustrated forgiveness, that is, forgiveness that doesn't reach its ultimate end, and that may be the case in your family, may be the case with someone in your life. You need to let go of the anger and resentment, but that doesn't mean, doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect, doesn't mean that everything's going to be fixed, and it doesn't even mean that you have to lower your guard. You know, if, if someone has, has betrayed my confidence, I can forgive them, but I'm not going to tell them all my secrets, right? And in the same way, there are people that you may not be able to trust. These are the simple facts. But having said all of that, we come back to what Jesus said. I mean, his teaching, his yoke is easy and light. It gives us it gives us the relief we can breathe. We're not like Kirk where we're just trembling with rage or we're not like the person who grows cold because deep inside there's something unresolved. We're not like that, but we find freedom as we forgive. For some of us, coming to know God in Jesus Christ will involve being willing to lay it down, to forgive. See, there are lots of things that can hold us back. The love of money can hold us back from following Christ. Some particular sin we want to hold on to can keep us from following Christ. Well, one sin that we can hold on to that keeps us from following Christ is unforgiveness. We have to be willing to forgive if we're going to be forgiven. And so that's the invitation this morning, that that you would be willing to forgive. Your life will blossom in a new way if you let go of resentment, that is, if it's in your heart. You can find find a a new sense of God being with you if you can find it in you to repent and forgive. Forgive. It may be a process, may not be easy, you may need help along the way, but forgiveness is the answer. It really is. We're going to pray, and then we're going to have a few moments to sort of turn our thoughts toward Christ and worship. We'll have people at the crosses who are there to pray for you. It may be, revo- it may be something to do with forgiveness, you know, to, it may be that you need to lay something down, and you need to be able to to just give it over to God. But it could be a hundred other things. 
We come to church with lots of burdens, but there are people who are there to pray for you. So feel free. Don't hesitate. Step out from where you are and seek prayer. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent Christ to bear our sins and that there is forgiveness with you. But Lord, we know that we know that it requires repentance, and that means being willing to forgive. That's part of it, and sometimes that's so very difficult for us. Please help us. Please especially help this morning those who, have, who don't have a relationship with you, a saving relationship because they're holding on to some resentment. Help them to let that go and turn to you now. And then secondly, Lord, We pray especially for those who have some long-standing hurt in their life that they've not been able to work through and they need special grace to overcome it, that they might find healing. May you give grace this morning that the process may begin in earnest. Let your power fill us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.